Hello and welcome to the Cat Must Day Chronicles podcast. We have exciting, interesting and powerful stories from pet owners about their projects, businesses and ventures. I'm your host, Michelle Adams, founder of Chatty Cats Care, London's professional cat sitting company. Join me as I dive deep into conversation with pet owners to chat about their individual journeys and of course, their beloved pets. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Cat Mass Day Chronicles podcast. This week I'm joined by Chris Roy, the founder of Dubert. .com, an online software platform for animal welfare volunteers and organisations. Over the years, Chris has fathered several rescue cats and dogs. He has also flown hundreds of animal rescue missions from high-kill shelters to no-kill shelters and sanctuaries. Chris is also a multi-engineer pilot and with his experience and expertise in IT, he continues to look for ways to make it easier for everyone to help animals. Chris sounds like the perfect guest for our show, and I know this episode is going to be so valuable. So without further ado, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Chris. I've briefly introduced you, but if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit more about yourself, that would be great. Sure. Well, thanks, Michelle. I'm really excited to be here. And you did a great job introducing me. I'm going to have you introduce me on everything now. <laughs> so, you know, as you said, so I'm I'm Chris Roy. I'm the founder of Dubert. And, you know, my background is in IT, right? So I'm an yeah. IT guy in my, in my day job. Um, I tell people I work a day job so I can afford to do my nights and weekends job, <laughs> which is Dubert. But um, I've been in IT for, geez, 25, almost 30 years now. Um, and I've always just loved technology. I've loved tweaking with technology. I love playing with new things. Um, and my passion for animals has always been, even since I was a kid. So they eventually kind of crossed over going on almost eight years ago now and developed Dubert and have just continued to build it out and try and bring bring the tools that animal rescuers need to make them more efficient, right? So they can focus more on saving animals. So mm-hmm. I still still work my day job uh, in IT. So it's sometimes it's challenging, but, you know, I love what I do. I love seeing the impact that we're having. And it's a really nice feeling to know that something I built actually helps people to save more animals. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Because I actually found it quite challenging to write up the questions for this episode because I thought, wow, like when I was reading about you, I was thinking I've got so many questions in my head and (laughs) this is going to take up way more than one episode. So I found it really hard to like narrow down what I was going to talk to you about because I could easily speak to you for about three hours and (laughs) and it would go on and on. Um, But Let's start from the beginning and talk a bit about, you know, what your childhood was like and where your interests for helping animals started, really. Sure, sure. So, I mean, as far back as I can remember, we, you know, had a dog when I was a kid and it was always just, you know, the dog was always just a part of the family, right? Mm -hmm. Wherever we went, the dog went. And I remember, I mean, you know, I was young. So I remember liking to play with the dog, always enjoyed having the dog. And um, after I went to college, 
right? And after I graduated, then I couldn't get a dog because the job I had was I was traveling a lot. So mm-hmm. I ended up getting a cat. Um, the first time I had had a cat, and he was he was awesome. His name was Jean Luc, uh, <laughs> after Jean Luc Picard from the uh, Star Trek Next Generation series. Oh, nice. And yeah, he was a great cat. He was really smart, and we really bonded and got along well. Um, and you know, so that was kind of the the start of my you know pet ownership, if you will, as mm. as a person. Yeah. And, you know, if you kind of fast forward, I mean, really where it crossed into the animal rescue side of things, um, as you read in the introduction, one of my other passions is aviation, right? So mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of flying over the years. I just, I just love it. It's just, there's nothing more free than when you're, when you're up in the air. And it, it was a chance back in probably 2008 when a animal rescue organization that, you know, we knew the people that worked there. And they called me and said, hey, Chris, any chance you can, you know, fly down and pick up some dogs for us? And I was like, wait, I get to go flying and play with dogs? Like, (laughs) this is a great thing. Win-win, right? Where do I go? And that kind of opened up the door for me. I didn't didn't know. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know this was a thing. And so for many years, I was doing these animal rescue missions and loved it, right? It was just, it was a challenge from an aviation standpoint to be able to fly into different airports. Um, It made me feel good to know that we were doing something to help animals. All of the the rescues and and other organizations that were part of these were super kind and appreciative. And so there's always lots of hugs and photographs. I mean, it made me feel like a celebrity, honestly, the way that, you know, people treated me. And you know, over time, what started to happen was over the years, my my name started to get shared, right? And I would get different calls or emails from different organizations. And, you know, they'd say, oh, can you fly in Tuesday to go get this dog or that dog? I'm like, people, I have a day job, right? I can only <laughs> fly on the weekends. And I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, like right in the middle of the United States. Okay. So I cannot go all the way out to the you know West Coast to California. It's just like it's not feasible. Mm-hmm. So I kept saying, well, there's gotta, there's just gotta be a better way. Like, why can't I just put my information where I'm at, days I'm available, and you know, then everybody can see it, right? So I don't have to keep saying the same things over and over again. And, you know, as they always say, I mean, they're there's got to be an app for that, right? But when yeah. I really started looking, there there wasn't anything and everybody was doing everything manually. And so that's when my kind of IT side of my brain kicked in and said, well, but go build the database on, right? Somebody else hasn't done this, so go build this. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my foray. So that was about 2013, I think, when I started down the path to really start developing this. And being honest, I didn't really know a lot about the whole realm of animal rescue in the, in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's been quite a journey for me to learn what the challenges are and, and how we can use technology to help them. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it was kind of like you were learning on the job. And yes. Yeah, yeah. That must have been Very really much. interesting. Um, and you must have learned so much as well from, from doing that and participating in, in the rescues. Absolutely. I, I think one of the things about me personally, I'm, a, I'm just a voracious learner. Like mm. I love to listen to books and podcasts and I just, mm-hmm. I love learning about things that I don't know about, right? I'm just a very inquisitive person. And so I'm not afraid to just say, okay, well, I don't know what it is today, but I'll, I'll figure it out. Right. And yeah. just 
kind of go figure it out. And so that's really been one of the best parts, I think, of this journey for me is that I've continued to learn and it's continued to expand my knowledge, both of animal rescue and also of technology. I've learned, I mean, people don't believe me when I tell them when I started this, I didn't know how to do a website. (laughs) I mean, I really didn't. And, you know, it's come so far now and it's, it's just grown to be this powerful platform. And I look back and I go, wow, I mean, all of the stuff that I've learned along the way, self-taught or, you know, other people that worked with me that shared their knowledge. Um, And then just to continue to learn about what the challenges are in animal welfare, right? Mm -hmm. In the U S and how I'm, I'm always a big proponent of, you know, technology shouldn't be the solution. We need to have a good process that can be enabled by technology. Um, So I spend a lot of time really asking a lot of questions and learning and trying to understand how things work before trying to design the technology to make it simple. Right. And would you say that you've noticed the difference now that the technology is in place? Does everything kind of run smoothly now? (laughs) Smoothly (laughs) is never a word I would use. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's definitely, you know, the best, the best feeling for me. So there are in transport and rescue relay transport, Mm. they have a transport coordinator, right? So the person that's kind of doing the scheduling and, and managing the volunteers. And probably the best um, feeling I ever got was when one of the organizations we work with, she told me, she said, Chris, you know, before Dubert, I could manage maybe three rescue transports in a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of emails and communicating and trying to keep track. And she said, with Dubert, I can manage 15 in the same amount of time. And so for me, that was just an amazing feeling to know that something I built gave her the ability to do more, right? And that's exactly what it's there for, right? Is we can't solve everything, but my goal is to save people time because if I save them time, I know what they're going to do. They're going to save more animals. And that's what it's all about. So it really gave me a good feeling to know that she was a lot more efficient because the the way the process was built just saved her a bunch of time from having to do everything manually. Yeah, it sounds like the perfect solution. You know, you saw the problem, you saw the problem and you thought of something that could not only solve it, but make things so much easier, which has now opened this, you know, a world of, of, of like, I don't know, possibilities that you never thought could be possible. Like, especially, you know, linking that with the technology has enabled more people to be able to use this and efficiently work. Because I think that sounded like it could have been the problem was maybe like not having not having the tools and not having the right things to use to be able to carry out like bigger missions. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And when you're, you know, I I remind people that there is no Amazon Prime for animals, right? (laughs) You don't get to just schedule a two-day transport and, you know, it it happens. So when you're dealing with volunteers, there is a lot of of work. And you're particularly on the longer distance transports. I mean, there are organizations that use the software to plan 1,500 or 2,000 mile transports that involve 30 different volunteers, you know, handing the animal from one to the next to the next and everybody driving a a leg or a portion of the journey. That's a lot of coordination. That's a lot of information to keep track of and, you know, times and who's meeting who and where are they meeting. Um, So that's a perfect example of where technology, in my mind, 
can really help is just eliminate some of that stuff. You still need the human interaction. People still have to work together. They still have to coordinate. But if the software can just make it easier for them, then that's the goal. Exactly, exactly. Um, Tell us more about some of the animal organizations that you have worked with, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, in the United States, we clearly define them as either shelters or rescues. Um, A shelter generally means that they have a a brick and mortar, right? They have a building, uh, a physical facility. So there's about 4,800 animal shelters in the United States Mm -hmm. um, across the entire country. Um, But from an animal rescue, since they're a little bit more virtual, they often don't have a physical facility. There's about 20 to 25,000 animal rescue organizations. So there's lots of different organizations. And it's really been eye-opening to me to really see how people have focused in on a particular type of animal, say dogs Mm -hmm. or cats, and then they'll further focus in on a particular breed or a specific thing. So there's, you know, I tell people there's blind dog rescues and deaf dog rescues and, you know, corgi rescues and German shepherd rescues and all sorts of different ways that people have, you know, focused on a particular part of the problem. So both from the flying side of things and with Dubert, we've really been, you know, lucky to be able to work with all sorts of different types of organizations, both the shelters and the rescues, um, to to support them and, and trying to learn. I mean, I'm always trying to learn more, you know, what can we do? What else can we do? How else can we make this process simpler for them to to coordinate, you know, working together? I mean, we're all we're all on this for the same goal, to help animals. Mm-hmm. And so if we can make this easier, then that's, you know, that's the end of the game. So um, it's been really nice being able to work with different types of organizations. Um, you know, I, I'm really proud to say that within Dubert, it's not just dogs and cats. I mean, we have bird rescues, reptile rescues, um, a rat rescue. So oh, wow. never, I don't really know a lot about rat rescue myself, yeah. but rabbits, um, like I said, birds, I mean, there's all sorts of things. And, you know, we've even um, are starting almost down the path. I'm trying to learn more about what goes into wildlife rescue and how technology could help them. So for me, it's just, as you mentioned, it's it's a journey as I continue to learn more. And as people give me ideas to say, well, could, you know, could we do this or could we do that? My answer is always yes. Let's talk about how that could work or what we need to do in order to, you know, bring technology in the right way so that we're simplifying the process instead of making it harder. Yeah, this is awesome what you're doing. Honestly, like listening to you, I'm just thinking, wow, this is (laughs) So cool. Um, But I'd love to hear more about the actual rescue missions as well. So can you just like talk us through what it's like? Like, are you giving a location and then you go there and, and, and animals like what happens? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, it's hard because until you learn about it or do one, right. It's a, it's kind of a mystery. Yeah. So the best way is to think about, you know, if you think about United States or or any country, really, um, in the U.S., the southern states have more of an overpopulation problem of animals uh, just due to not spaying and neutering and things like that. And then a lot of the northern states have, I don't want to say solved, but at least reduced that problem. So they have more of a demand for animals. So a lot of the times the animals are going from south to north. 
And it starts with two organizations really working together. So if there's a, a shelter in a southern state and, and maybe a rescue in one of the northern states, you know, they have to have a conversation to be uh, able to work together and, and transfer animals. And then in, in the Dubert system, so what would happen is say the rescue would schedule the transport. So if the animal is going from, say, Florida up to where I live in, in Wisconsin, and the Dubert system will help them break it into legs, right? So transport legs. So imagine if you were drawing a line from Florida up to Wisconsin, you know, call it 1,500 miles, but every volunteer is only going to drive about, about 80 miles, anywhere between 60 and 80 miles um, a leg. Yeah. Well, you're going to need probably 20 to 25 people. Um, so what's nice is the Dubert software actually breaks it into legs and then automatically notifies what I call the appropriate volunteers, right? The ones that are uh, closest to the leg based upon their preferences. And so once they sign up for the transport, now on the day of the transport, whether they're you know, a driver or a pilot, in my case, you know where you're going to meet, you know who you're going to meet, and you know what I'll say is the approximate time because you know these things are they're hard, right? It, everything doesn't always run 100% on time. Yeah. But the first volunteer generally starts pretty early in the morning, usually around 5 or 6 a.m., mm -hmm. and they're picking up the animal. And they're driving to the meeting point where they meet the second volunteer. And, you know, usually there's hugs and photos and they hand the animal off. And then the next volunteer drives to the next and to the next. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really what we call a rescue relay transport. So it goes from one volunteer to the next to the next. And on particularly long journeys, it's, you know, it's not uncommon for uh, somebody to hold the animal overnight, right? So after you've done, you know, eight or even 10 legs, of, you know, an hour leg is kind of what you figure. That's a long day. So somebody, you know, volunteers to take the animal overnight, hold them as a you know temporary foster, give them food and water and, and a nice safe place to sleep. And then the next morning they continue on with their journey. So um, it's a, it's a great way for volunteers to really just to get involved and know they're making a difference. And so it's, it's fun. I mean, even as a pilot, one of the things I love is being able to go to different airports. You get, you, you get tired of going to the same airports yeah. all the time. Right. So to know that I'm plotting on a mission, um, flying to a different airport that I've never been to before, and then meeting that volunteer and loading up the animals and then, you know, flying to whatever destination. Um, it's, it's a, it's a long day usually uh, because most people will drive, like I said, about an hour leg, but you got to figure there's time, to get to the starting point of your leg and then driving along the leg and then you got to drive back home. Right. So it's generally about three to four hours per person, right. For the, for their particular part of the journey. So right. it's a long day. Um, but you know, I gotta tell you, I've every transport I've done, these animals are just, they just know, they know something. They know that good is happening and positive vibes are happening. And yeah. while they're, they're nervous, they're always just so appreciative. You can just, yeah. you can see it in their eyes and they're so appreciative. They know you're helping them. They don't necessarily know how or where they're going. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's probably the most rewarding part of all this. Yes, absolutely. I can imagine. So what, what kind of, so with the animals, are they usually like, animals that have been on the streets or are they animals that have been in you know a difficult situation like maybe in a home where they wasn't treated very well or you know does it just depend they come from all different kind of walks I guess 
Yeah, it really does depend. Um, there is there are some owner surrenders, right, that happen in, in some of the southern states where people just bring the animal to the shelter and they don't want them anymore. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, ferals or, or strays that are picked up um, that are in the community. And so they're brought to the shelter. Um, there's um, there's all sorts of all sorts of reasons that um, they end up in the shelter. And, you know, so then the goal is to get them out because if you have a hundred kennels, um, when that 101st dog comes in, you know, there's got to be space made. And that's, that's the unfortunate reality of what's still happening in the U.S. And it's, it's crazy to believe in, in 2021 that we're still literally killing animals just due to lack of space, but yeah. that's what happens. And um, so trying to really get organizations to be able to work together and do things efficiently to, to move these animals out. But um, they come in for all sorts of, all sorts of different reasons. People, sometimes um, they can't afford a medical procedure or, you know, they're having to move or relocate, or maybe they've been evicted from where they are and they can no longer have animals. So there's a lot of really sad stories that we, we as an industry, as a movement, try to help people as much as we can. Um, and then there's the ones, like we said, like that are strays or, or just, you know, kittens or little puppies that come in um, from an animal that wasn't spayed or neutered. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And I can imagine it's it's quite difficult at times because... I guess in a way sometimes, you know, you grow a little bit of attachment. I don't know about you, but for me personally, I, I'm i quite attached uh, a little bit when it comes to animals. So I think I would maybe find a little bit difficult. But I know that at the end of the day, you need to have that professional hat on, just like, you know, any vet who's doing surgery or anything like sure. that to be you know professional. But I, I guess it can get a little bit personal sometimes. Yeah, it certainly can. And, you know, I try and when I'm doing the rescues physically, I mean, I, you know, reassure the animals, right, that they're going to a a better place. And we're going to, we're going to find them a loving, happy home where where people are going to be able to take care of them. And you know that you're a part of that journey. It's, it's, Certainly, I want to. I want to adopt them all. I know. But I also know. I also know that if I adopt them all, then it's going to be harder for me to do more transports. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to recognize that you're part of the solution and you're part of their journey. And you know, it's. I always document the journey, so I always take pictures with the animals and pictures of the other volunteers because that's what's important to me is to be able to share with other people the the joy and the and the the good feeling that comes from knowing that you're part of helping these animals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. Um, I think for a lot of our listeners, they may not know, but could you tell us a little bit more about the, the kill shelters and the no kill shelters? For me, I just, I know you, you spoke briefly just then about, you know, the overpopulation of animals, but I don't know for the life of me, I just can't, I can't comprehend the kill shelters. I just, I, I can't wrap my head around it. I feel like there's always another solution, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a complicated, complicated problem. And, you know, if you go with the black and white definition, they generally use a 90% live release rate as the definition at the moment of of kind of being no kill. So anywhere between 90 and hundred percent live release rate. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate fact is that a lot of organizations don't have the resources um, they, you know, they could be a small shelter that's underfunded. Um, they could have some challenges in their community with just how people 
people in general feel towards animals. And, you know, it's, it's based on, I mean, in the U.S., the animal shelter model is really based on a prison system where you just, you know, you want to get rid of animals, you just bring them to the shelter. And as I mentioned before, when there's 100 crates and that 101st animal comes in, unfortunately, decisions have to be made as to what are the animals that are most likely to get adopted out or, or transferred out. And it's it's really difficult. And these people, they they try their best to try and get the animals out. Um, and it's unfortunately still in the U.S. I mean, they estimate around half a million are still euthanized healthy dogs and cats, um, not not ones that are you know with um, you know diseases or anything like that that's going to uh, terminate them, but you know healthy dogs and cats that are adoptable are being killed in shelters just due to space. And so these the people in these organizations, I mean believe me, they don't they don't want to. This is not the best part of their job. It's the worst part of their job. But they also have to do their job, right? They're, you know, required by their community to to do this. And so they they work really really hard to try and build relationships and find places to send the animals or foster homes to take the animals so that they don't have to euthanize. Um, it's been, I would say in the U.S., we've made significant progress in the last 10 years and the last 20 years. Uh, there used to be literally millions, millions of animals that were euthanized. I mean, just, I mean, every 10 seconds there would be an animal killed in the U.S. So the numbers have come way down and the, you know, there's still more to go, right? We're not going to give up until we get to 100%, you know, no kill for for space, right? There, there's certainly going to be circumstances where an animal is is terminally sick or something like that, and, and you're you're doing it out of compassion. But certainly, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to do this when there's there's plenty of people and organizations that want to help these animals. So it's um it's hard because you know the definition of no kill, the opposite of that means you're a kill shelter. Well, nobody really wants to do it. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of organizations trying to work to to solve this. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. Um, what can we as animal lovers and, and animal owners do to better support animals and rescuers like yourself and, and the shelters? What can we do? Yeah, there's there's lots of things. And I, and I appreciate the question. I mean, it's hard because everybody, you know, has their busy lives and things like that. And so I would say you start with what what you're able to do, right? So for, for example, in the US, if you're able to take an afternoon, even once a month, and get involved in a rescue transport, that's a great way uh, to get involved. If you can be a foster, right? Some people can't be a foster, so that's why I encourage them to be a transporter. But if you can be a foster for a week or two weeks or a couple of months, you can truly be that temporary advocate for an animal. And you can help them. You know, a, a shelter is a, is a scary place. It's loud. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, with that many animals packed in, I mean, there's more chances for disease to spread and things like that. So getting animals into foster homes is a great way where you're giving the animal a safe space to kind of decompress and, and really to show their true personality. So you can be their, their temporary home, and then you can be that advocate to help them to find uh, their forever home. So being able to help, you know, capture f- videos and photos and, you know, really just bring out the true personality of the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not able to have them in your home or you're not able to do a transport, you can even do virtual online. These organizations need help 
you know, processing applications or maintaining the website or posting pictures. Um, there's lots of things that you can do there. And then certainly they always can use funding, right? Everything, everything in the world costs money. And when you bring an animal into a shelter, they have to be, they have to be spayed and neutered. They have to be vaccinated. They, you know, they have to be fed and, you know, all those things take money, right? So if, you know, if you can't participate physically in helping, certainly by um, getting involved and in, in donating to one of these organizations, you can, you can go a long way to helping them save even more. Yeah, that is my, for me personally, that's one of my long-term term goals. I would really love to... Um, maybe obviously support existing um, shelters and rescuers, but I'd love to one day have my own rescue um, rescue service and shelter um, in the UK, but also beyond as well, because I know in, in Europe, for example, in places like, I don't know, Spain or Italy, there are a lot of stray cats where in, in London, where I live, there are strays, but it, it's rare that you would come across a stray cat and dog. But in like maybe Spain or France or, or places like that in Europe, there are there is a, a need, especially in Greece, actually in Greece, there is a, a big need for for um, rescuers and shelters because, yeah, Greece is known as, as the cat island. I don't know, mm. if you know much about Greece, but it's very it's very overpopulated uh, with 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 cats. Yeah. And it's it's a difficult challenge, right? In the US, we have, you know, we call them community cats now, I mean, or, or feral cats, but I mean, they estimate that there, there literally are millions of community or feral cats and, you know, cats can multiply, right? And have, yeah. have kittens if they're not appropriately spayed and neutered. And um, so like you, I, I want to continue to help with the problem. I mean, it's only been a couple of years now that we've actually been transporting cats, which nobody ever thought we'd see that day in the U S that there would actually be a supply and demand imbalance for cats where more people wanted to adopt the cats and there weren't any left because of effective spay and neuter programs. So that's been really, really great to see. Yeah. And, and yet I know, I mean, the, the numbers, when I talk to people in India, I mean, they estimate, and, and I'm not even sure how you estimate, but they estimate that there's 30 million stray dogs in India. Wow. And you just go like, where do you begin? Yeah. Right. And, and there's so many amazing people over there working to try and help animals, everything from, you know, giving them fresh water or animals that get hit by cars, getting them to medical facilities or people that are feeding them. And, you know, there's other other countries, Brazil and other places, I mean, there's still a lot of work for us to do globally yeah. for companion animals and, and for other types of animals. So to me, the, the need is never going to stop for us to, you know, show compassion and love and support for, for animals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you kindly offered our listeners a free pet academy um, access to free pet academy training courses to make fostering and any animal shelter rescue or for any sorry <laughs> for any animal um, shelter rescue group or individual who wants to help save um, more lives. Can you tell us more about that resource and and what it and what you offer and and what people can you know how they can get involved. 
Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I the way I always describe animal rescue is it's, it's kind of like a potluck dinner, right? Everybody brings their skills. You know, my skills are technology, so I can bring my skills and technology. And, um, you know, working with, with Bailey and team at Pet Academy, they've done an amazing job of building training videos, right? For somebody that's new to fostering, they they're not sure what to do. They, you know, are always asking like, what do I do? And what about this? And what about that? Um, And you can imagine it gets hard for organizations to have to constantly answer the same questions over and over again. So one of the things I've really tried to do is to partner with other organizations and, and work together. You know, my expertise is technology. Their expertise is training. Great. Let's marry the two together. And so in working with them to be able to offer now to people here, go take this free course. You can, you know, they, Bailey and team have spent a lot of time and money in building these, but, you know, I want to help um, give people the education that they're looking for so that they can be a good foster parent and, and have their questions. I mean, the last thing I want is somebody that doesn't get involved because they're, they're concerned, they're nervous, right? They're not sure what to do. There is, there's a lot to learn, but I hope people would understand that there are amazing resources, um, courses, and there's lots of people that will help. Nobody's ever going to bash you or yell at you or anything like that when you're trying to to help. So being able to to offer these to for free to people is really important so that they feel supported as they get involved in, in becoming a foster. It's fantastic, to be honest, because I think like you said, a lot of people have those concerns and, and they don't know, you know, especially if they may not have owned a pet before, they might feel right. nervous, they might not know what to do. And I think it just gives you that reassurance that, you know, somebody's like there's resources there that can help you. And somebody's explaining this in a way that is very um, understandable, you know? Right, for sure. And and there are, you know, it's not, it's not, overly hard, but there are definitely things that you want to learn and you want to be aware of. I mean, the first few days with a foster animal and how to introduce them to your home and to your, to your family, whether it be kids or or eventually other animals. I mean, there's, there's kind of a step-by-step process that you want to follow because these animals, I mean, they're sentient beings and Mm. they're, they're, you know, not familiar with you and your household and the smells and the sounds and all those other things. And, and you're, goal and objective as a foster is to help de-stress them. So if you follow some of the step-by-step, it's, it's a great way to get them comfortable and then they'll open up and then their true personality comes out and then you can help them to find their forever home and, and be able to really advertise them, you know, for the true animal that they are. Exactly. And what a fantastic thing to do as well. For sure. For sure. It's, um, it's very rewarding. People often say, well, I don't know that I could be a foster because I'd never let them go. And mm-hmm. certainly there are a lot of people that will adopt their permanent family member, you know, they call them failed fosters, right? Yeah. But again, I, I encourage people to remember you're, you're part of the journey. And mm-hmm. if you can help these animals and, and recognize that your job is to help them to find the perfect home where they can fit and be loved and be cared. And then, and then to, you know, say your goodbyes and move on to the next one, because there's so many others that can really use your help. And if you end up adopting great, right. You might be the perfect fit. 
I know for many of the animals I fostered over the years, you know, they just weren't the perfect one for us. I mean, we loved them, we cared for them, but it, it wasn't the perfect fit for us. And, and so you help them to find that perfect fit. Somebody else that has a different household that just works better. And then you get the next one and you go through it again. So it's, um, it's, it's hard, I think, but it's not as hard as people think. It's actually a lot easier when you remember that you're, you're part of the solution. You're part, you're doing your job to help them to find. And, and if you envision yourself as an advocate, instead of just as a, you know, somebody that's keeping the animal safe and warm, um, it really changes your mindset so that you're actively seeking to find them that perfect place. Exactly. Mm. Do you ever get any updates? Do, do people get any updates at all? So if you have fostered, w- were they able to stay in touch with the person who adopted or does it? Yeah, sure. It does. It does happen. A lot of organizations will have, um, they call them rescue reunions. Oh. So, you know, once a year they'll have people that they've adopted, you know, kind of come together in a park and have a picnic mm-hmm. and um, they'll often invite the fosters and that so it's it's definitely something that does happen. And it's a nice, it's a really nice feeling to know that you help them on their journey and to see them so happy with their yeah. with their forever family. That's so nice. So nice. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of places in the UK, like um, for example, Battersea, Cats and Dogs Home. It's like a big uh shelter here. Um, but they um because of privacy and security I guess maybe I don't know why but you can't um stay in touch with the pet so um Hmm. there's been a few occasions where I've I've looked after um some of the cats that have been rescued from there and um the owners have said to me you know you clearly can tell that they've been in a really good home before and the previous owners, you know, it must have been such a hard decision as well to 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 give them up. So, you know, it would probably mean so much to them if they had that opportunity to have, you know, just a little update, a photo, just so that they can see that their, you know, beloved pet that they once had is is doing really well. Yeah. And that, you know, it's funny as you're talking, Michelle, that to me is a great example of where technology could really play a part. And making sure that people are opting in. So as if you were the adopter and I was the foster, you know, allowing you the ability to opt in and say, yes, I would like to share these updates. And then to have me as the foster opt in to receive the updates. That's where I think then you don't need Battersea or anybody else to actively get involved um, because it's, it's hard. I mean, trying to manage all that can be difficult. So that'd be a great example of where technology can play a part so that everybody controls their side of the equation. Mm -hmm. And I could subscribe to get updates, you know, on the animals that I helped to find their permanent forever homes. And you could, you know, be providing that. And, you know, it it is, it's a pay it forward type of a thing that keeps people engaged and excited about what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Dubert has helped support 27,000 plus volunteers and 1,200 plus organizations across the United States and Canada. And honestly, when I read this, I got goosebumps because I'm thinking that is so amazing. Like to have that impact is just, yeah, surreal. But what are your plans for the future? Would you like to expand to other parts of the world? What do you see happening for Duba? What would you like to see happening for it? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very humbled by 
the impact that we're able to have and, and hopefully will continue to have. And um, I would love, you know, so Dubert, the software currently works in the US, Canada, and uh, we rolled it out to Australia just this past spring. Um, and so from my standpoint, it's, you know, it's software. And I would love to work with people in the UK or Europe or, or wherever if they if they want to enable it there. I just, you know, there's a little bit of work I got to do, yeah. um, but I, I can totally see how it could be helpful. Um, I, as I, I said to you before, I, I want to learn. I don't, I don't want to go in and say, hey, we're from the US, here's how this goes, right? I would rather say, hey, let's talk about how things work. How does the animal rescue process work in your particular area or country? And then figure out how I can enable the software to work best to support that. So for example, when we deploy to Australia, I mean, given how vast uh, distance, they don't have a lot of uh, people to be able to do a rescue relay type transport, right? So that that's really not where their problem is. So we focused more on the fostering module and, and trying to enable the features there because that's really where their technology challenge was. So I would love to see Duber be rolled out to other countries and, and working with other organizations so that it, it is a tool. And the way I view it is Duber does not, it's not about Duber, right? It's about the technology. It's about how can I enable Dubert to work, you know, just like you use Google Docs or Microsoft Office or something like that. Right. It's just the technology behind it. You're still the one writing your book or doing your spreadsheet. Um, I want it to work the same way with Dubert. So other organizations and wherever, I mean, all they got to do is reach out to me and I would love to have a conversation and and learn more and, and show them what it does, yeah. but also learn more about how it could help uh, within their area so that we're we're approaching it in the right way and not just trying to roll out the way that the tools were developed in the US. Yeah, I'm excited for this episode to go out to be honest because I already know like quite a few rescuers and organizations in different countries that would really benefit from from this technology. That would be amazing. I'd love to love to hear from them and yeah. love to work with them to say, okay, let's let's talk about what the challenges are. And I, like I said, I can show them what the software does today. And more importantly, talk about what could we do? Like how can technology play a part to help them to do their job more efficiently? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> what are, or do you have any best moments so far that had happened on your do that journey? So I have to say, I mean, my, you know, one of the ones that still just brings a tear to my eye um, there was a rescue a number of years ago, and it was a, a an albino dog. So it was a white dog. It was an yeah. um, English setter dog. And the breeder brought him to the shelter because the dog was deaf. And oftentimes, you know, there's, you know, that happens when the animal's deaf. Well, from a breeder standpoint, the dog was worthless to him, right? It's a deaf dog. What am I going to do with it? And so this dog was brought to the shelter in, in the south. And there was a shelter in Michigan, so up in the northern part of the U.S., mm -hmm. that was going to take them. And so they posted the transport on Dubert. And when they did it, they didn't have a name for the dog. So the volunteers actually named the dog Dubert. <laughs> and um, so there's all these wonderful pictures and, and photos and the volunteers talking about Dubert the dog. And then the best part of the story was once the dog got to Michigan and was adopted out, 
um, the people that adopted them out actually entered Dubert in the Puppy Bowl, which is aired on uh, the Animal Planet television station here in the U.S. at the same time as the Super Bowl. So during the Super Bowl, the football, you know, American football halftime, they, every year they have this Puppy Bowl. And so Dubert the Puppy was in the Puppy Bowl. And so... Oh. Yeah, it was, it was for me, I mean, I was sitting on the couch cheering every time the announcer would say, and Dubert takes the ball or Dubert does this, you know, um, and it was just a really heartwarming story to know that, you know, the volunteers, you know, made the journey happen and, and the software obviously helped them. And, you know, Dubert the dog now has a wonderful life where he'll live happily ever after. That is a lovely story. Thank you so much for sharing it. It's so sweet. Um, but equally, did you have any bad or challenging moments whilst on your Dubit journey? Yeah, I will say it. Um, <laughs> you learn a lot about yourself and you learn th this is hard. And there are days that you just, I mean, I there's been so many times where I've just said, forget it. I'm done. I just, I'm done. I'm just shutting this down. And, you know, you have to look internally and, and motivate yourself. It's really difficult. Um, building software is hard and it, everything doesn't work amazing. I, I had um, one lady complain that, you know, she and her friend couldn't both log into Dubert from different locations and see real time what the other person was doing because she could do that with her Google Docs. And why couldn't we do this? And she was not really nice about it, you know, and after I, I, I was kind of flabbergasted, kind of like, but Google has billions of dollars and thousands of software engineers, <laughs> and I don't, yeah. right? So, and recognize that, you know, you're using this for free and I'm trying to help yeah. you, but it, it's, those are the days where it's really hard to, you know, to, to be motivated and to know people are used to software being free and they complain about every little thing and they don't often realize that, hey, um, you know, when I reply to support tickets, every once in a while, people are surprised. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize the, the founder of Dubert was going to reply to me. Mm. I'm like, well, you know, I'm the CEO, the CFO, the CIO, the support guy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I wear a lot One of hats. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, that's when it's hard is, yeah. is trying to, trying to continue to keep it going and, and support it and, you know, grow it and get it to another level and, and still work a day job, right? I mean, I don't make money on Dubert. It doesn't make money. It's not designed to make money, yeah. but it still costs money to keep it running and and to pay for servers and developers and designers and, you know, on and on and on. So um, those are the hard days. But at the end of the day, I, I know that the purpose is is still pure and I and I'm still... I'm hopeful that we're going to continue to grow and our journey is just going to unfold. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go so that Dubert can help even more animals. Absolutely. And it will. I can, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But what is your vision for an ideal world for humans and animals? Oh, that's such a hard one for me. I, I, I really, I really want people to recognize that they are sentient beings. Mm. And, you know, while they may not communicate in the same way that we can, or they may not have the same skills that we do, they're sentient beings and they, they feel, and they feel pain and, and, you know, 
they're happy and sad. And so for me, the ideal world is, is recognizing that we need to coexist and we need to be supportive and understanding and try and try and help. Um, you know, I, I, I recognize it's, it's, it's hard, right. We've, you know, the way things have kind of gone in different countries and there's different challenges and, and all those other kinds of things. So I always try and approach it with a sense of respect and recognize that the choices that I make are not necessarily the choices somebody else makes, right? Yeah. In terms of, you know, what they eat or or how <laughs> animals in my house are, <laughs> they're, they're kings and queens, right? Like mm-hmm. I'll move off the bed if they want on the bed, right? Yeah. It's just kind of the way it works, but I'm also respectful that that's not the same for everybody else. So for me, it's it's everybody having respect and kindness towards animals, um, recognizing that we are different, but recognizing that you know there's there's a place, there's a bond, a human animal bond that happens, and if we can be supportive of each other and supportive of the animals, that's that's the vision for me mm-hmm. is passion and, and kindness for both the people and animals, so that we can all coexist. Yeah, I want that too. Hopefully, one day. Someday. I know. Um, I noticed that you have some really cool t-shirts on the website. Um, and with the profit from those purchases, what could that do to help your mission, the animals, you, what can that do to help? Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. We've really been trying to celebrate. I mean, we call our, our volunteers Dubertiers. I like uh, that. Because, uh, yeah, they are the ones that are doing the hard work. Yeah. Um, and so we've tried to, as you said, and have some cool designs and clothing and, you know, all of the money that any money that's made, right, when, once you pay for the clothing and all that goes back to paying for software, goes back to paying mm-hmm. for the server and, you know, the further development of things, 100% of it. So not a dime is going to me um, yeah. because that's not what I want, right? I That's why I still work a day job so that uh, I don't have to take any money from Dubert. That's not the goal. So when people are, are generous and they're supporting Dubert and they're buying things through the, through the uh, rescue store, um, it goes back to the organization, right? So it goes right back into funding what we're going to build next and, you know, new technologies and features and, you know, things need updates as people get, you know, new phones and things, the mobile apps have to be updated to the latest version. So again, that all costs money. So anything that people can do to, to support goes right back into our mission. Amazing. Do you ship internationally? Um. I don't think so, but I'd have to think about if we could. The U.S. right now. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just like you you just ask and we'll have to figure out how to do that or figure out a more efficient way that maybe we could print it in country, right? So that we're not having to ship as far. Right, exactly, exactly. We we do have listeners in in the US anyway, so that could be really beneficial for them. But us listeners in the in the UK, you know, if if there's any way we could purchase, I'm sure um, a lot of people, including myself, would would love to. So yes, please please keep me updated. For sure. Yeah, but let's move on to my favorite part of the show, being pets. So you mentioned a little bit at the beginning about, you know, your journey with pets and and your first dog. But if you want to tell us a little bit more about that journey with your pets, that would be amazing. Yes, I've had many different pets over the years, like I said, when I was a child. And then once I graduated college, you know, Jean-Luc was my first um, cat. And then Dubert was the second cat. And um, over the years, I mean, we've had as many as four cats and two dogs in our household. 
and you know every one of them has a as a special place um, they they all have such personalities and unique uh, ways that they enrich your life and um, I love just being a part of that journey. I mean, we've got a couple of black cats, Ash and Ember. So black cats, just like black dogs, have a very difficult time in the U.S. getting adopted. People have stigmas and superstitions and things like that. So, you know, focusing extra attention on trying to help black dog rescues or black cat rescues, um, that's part of my, you know, individual passion, if you will. So I'm always looking to try and adopt a black dog or a black cat because they're they're often overlooked. And for me, it's about the the bond that just, it just naturally happens. I mean, these animals figure out really quickly who who cares, right, about them. And um, they just become a part of your life. And when their life comes to a natural end, it's it's the hardest thing to be able to let them go. It's just like you've lost a child or, or a parent. Um, and for me, my life is always going to include animals. I don't ever see it not including animals up until the day that, you know, I pass on. So um, I'm really excited that this is my passion is kind of coming coming to fruition and surrounding myself and my life with animals and then being able to help them at the same time yeah I I feel exactly the same as you so yes <laughs> animals are the best <laughs> yes um no but I love to hear more about the wonderful story of Dubert your beautiful sure cat and of course inspiration behind the name of your platform dobut.com yeah people often ask and, and they're surprised but if you go out to the website you'll see under the about section there's the story of of dubert and um you know dubert i mean as i mentioned jean-luc was my first cat and when i got a second cat you know there was people joking at work what am i going to name it and they had all sorts of names well i i named this the second cat dubert's original name was q which in the TV show was kind of Jean-Luc's nemesis, right? But I figured out pretty quick when you go to the vet and the vet says, okay, what's the cat's name? And you say Q and they go, Q? You go, yeah, Q. And they go, just Q. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, C-U-E? I'm like, oh my goodness, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, at the vet, in all the vet records, uh, Duber was actually named Quincy, right? And so it's funny, people are like, who's Quincy, right? And it's the only way I could get around it. But, you know, what ended up happening was Q kind of morphed into Qbert, which ironically enough was an 80s video game. So way many, many years ago, this little video game, the character was called Qbert. And Qbert kind of just morphed as you almost have pet names for your pets. Yeah. And Qbert kind of morphed into Dubert. And then we had Mommy Bert and Daddy Bert and Jean-Luc Bert and Holly Bert and everybody in the house was a Bert. And <laughs> You know, Dubert was, as I like to say, he was an old soul. He was um, not the not the brightest cat as cats go. He, but he was certainly a loving old soul, and he loved to just come lay on your chest and take a nap. And his energy would just warm you up into the. I mean, you would just get the best sleep when Dubert would come and snuggle with you and just take care of you. And you know, he was one there. It was like he could just sense when you were having a hard day or you know, you're frustrated, Dubert would come to you and it was like, he just wouldn't let you go. He would just, you know, be like, no, we're going to take a nap now and you're going to lie there and I'm going to fill you with love and energy that is going to make things better. So 
he really was a, a part of our lives for 17, 17 wonderful years. And when we finally had to let him go, it was, it was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So what better way when I was trying to come up with a, a URL and a name for the company, um, what better way to do it than to name it after him? Because he was really the inspiration and showed the love and, and really the care for, you know, what animals can bring to your life. And mm-hmm. so it's amazing to be able to celebrate his life. And, you know, it's amazing to me that there's about 400 people in a month that type the word Dubert into their Google, yeah. you know, and so it was a word nobody knew, but now there's a lot more people that know what a Dubert is. Yeah. It just has a ring to it as well. It just, yeah. yeah. Really good name. Um, but yeah. Have you learned anything about yourself since becoming a cat owner? <laughs> Absolutely. I've learned where I, where I rank in the, in the cat household. <laughs> <laughs> I learned my purpose. No, I, I really, you know, I, I never growing up, I mean, we never had cats. We, we had mm-hmm. dogs, but never cats. And I really learned that cats have a really interesting personality and they, you know, they have good days and bad days like everybody else, but um, there's a a special unique bond that comes with a cat. And it's really helped me to learn about, you know, myself and not take myself so seriously. I mean, it's, we all have stressors in our life and in our jobs and, you know, it's like, you're having a hard day and the cat will just come over and start rubbing against you and Mm -hmm. be like, Hey dude, chill out, man. Like it's okay right? This will pass. We'll get through this together. And just the love that they share and coming and sit on your lap, it just helps me to not take everything so seriously. It's um, recognizing that we're all, you know, on this planet for a period of time. And, you know, they help me to realize that life is short and you got to take lots of naps, (laughs) right? And lay in the sun and really just enjoy, um, enjoy the time that you have on the planet. Yeah. They, they teach me a lot about self-care because I feel yeah. like they know a lot about self-care and what they need. And I feel right. like I need to take a few, you know, lessons from them about that as well. Yeah, I know. It's like every time they eat and then it's bath time and then yeah. and then it's nap time and then it's play time. And, yeah. you know, it, it's they're on a schedule, it seems like, for what they're doing. And you're right. It helps you to kind of recognize what are you doing to care for yourself and take the time that you need to just enjoy. I mean, watching a cat lying in the sun, um, just feeling the warmth and just feeling good and arching their back. And, you know, you go, why can't we just do that and let everything go and recognize that sometimes just being is is important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your, your sweet dog as well? Um, what is he or she like? So I had a number of different dogs. So currently Maddox, um, and Maddox has got a great story as well. Maddox was a rescue. Um, my younger sister, who lives uh, hundreds of miles away in, in Ohio, um, was you know driving on a six-lane highway and saw this dog running along the highway. Mm-hmm. And so she immediately pulled over and said, come here, puppy. And he jumped right up in the back and she took him to the shelter to see if he had a microchip and he didn't. And they did some quick tests. And I mean, he had hookworm, whipworm, a tapeworm, heartworm, you know, he just had all sorts of issues. And, you know, my, my younger sister is just so compassionate and she's like, Chris, this dog is so sweet. I mean, she had little kids at the time. I mean, two and three years old and he was just so gentle And so I helped her with the cost to to 
nurse him back to health and, and treat all of the different things. And then I actually flew down and met another pilot kind of halfway and we adopted Maddox and it, um, it, he's just, we always say Maddox is like a, a dog in a cat's body or a cat in a dog's body is what I should really? say. Right. He's just, he loves to just follow you and just kind of lay with you. And he's just a very chill dog. And yeah. um, he just, you know, again, reminds you that life is too short and he loves to go for walks, loves to snuggle you on the couch, um, loves to play with the cats sometimes a little bit, you know, to the point they're like, dude, like, all right, we're done, you know? <laughs> um, but he's just, he's a, he's a great example um, of, of the joy that animals can bring to your life. Oh, wow. I can imagine. Um, what has lockdown been like with the animal rescue missions? Did, did any operations change at all? Was it, was it more difficult? Yeah. I mean, it, I will say the lockdown changed animal welfare in a lot of ways and in a lot of positive ways. So, okay. I mean, transports pretty much came to a standstill right? Initially, when people were trying to figure out what they could do and, and moving between states and how they could be safe. Um, and thankfully, they've, they've now come back. But in the U.S., it really opened up the door for fostering. Yeah. Uh, a lot of organizations finally embraced fostering because people couldn't come into the shelter, so they had to do something with the animals. Mm -hmm. So a lot of organizations embraced fostering. Uh, there was a lot of people that stepped up to foster animals so there's a lot of positive, I think, that, that came out of it. Um, it was different than, you know, pre-lockdown and pre-pandemic. But I actually think now it, it is bringing people together. So in the U.S., there's a, a lot more collaboration going on between organizations, um, a lot more partnerships being developed. So I, I see it as it there's always a positive that can come out of something that's just so horrific and so negative. Yeah. And in animal welfare, I mean, that's been the positive is people are embracing fostering and they're, they're focused on shelter prevention. Can we keep the animals in foster, right? They, there's no need for them to come to the shelter. And can we work together to transfer the animals to where they're more likely to be adopted? So all in all, I, I think it's been a good thing and hopefully we'll continue on that trend. Yeah, I have noticed that as well. I, I didn't know whether it was because I was, you know, more engaged with the community, the rescue community now, and that I'd started to kind of speak to different people on the podcast, or if it was just like the lockdown that had that impact. But after listening to what you said, I think that, you know, it was obviously a very devastating and still is situation. Um, but like you said, there was a lot of positive that came out of it. And I think people came together more as, as a community and I feel like we we have started to try to solve problems like not only in in the animal world but in 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 life really um and I think it, there has been a lot of great things that have happened um for the past two years actually yeah I agree I mean it it seems like because it was happening to everyone everywhere. There wasn't yeah. a place or a culture on this planet that wasn't touched. Yeah. And I think it really kind of humbled people and, and leveled the playing field and really started to help people to focus on what's, what's important. It's not all about getting ahead. It's about helping your, your fellow humans and your fellow animals. And so I think it really, people really started to look beyond what they were already doing and started to say, how can I get involved? How can I make a difference? Yeah. And so I think that's 
that's the positive side. And hopefully we can continue to maintain that um, when things start to kind of open up or go back to, you know, pre pre pandemic or pre lockdown. Uh, I don't want to say normal because I don't think that's normal. I think it's yeah. whatever it's going to be now is what we're pivoting into as a, mm-hmm. as a species, right. As, as people on the planet. And so for me, it, it, it really connected people in a different way everybody using Zoom and, and Teams and Google Hangouts and all these other virtual ways, breaking down barriers and, and sharing information like we've never done before. Absolutely. It's, it's so true. And, 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 and yeah, I'm looking forward to, to what the future will bring. Exactly. Um, yeah. But lastly, um, thank you so much, by the way, for coming on to the podcast. Honestly, I'm so excited for this episode to come out. I know that um, a lot of people will benefit from listening to what you've said. I have, and I'm excited to spread the word about Duba because like I said, I know so many um, rescuers and organizations that I think could really benefit from um, your software because a lot of the the commonalities between everyone is that they're just overworked and they don't have time for themselves and um, it's kind of taken over their lives. And I don't want that to then impact on them and make them feel like they don't want to do the rescuing anymore. So I think a service, I mean, a software, sorry, like yours would be amazing for so many people. So I'm really excited um, about spreading the word and for this episode to, to air. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about it. And like I said, I'm absolutely open and would love to connect with people in different countries and learn more, you know, how technology and software can help them to be more organized, to be more efficient, to communicate better. Um, I always tell people the best ideas come from people other than me, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm not the end all be all. I don't know everything. So when I get new ideas from people, um, then we can build it into the software and help even more organizations. So yeah. I love love the collaboration, love the forward thinking and really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about it. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, but lastly, if our listeners want to find out more about you and your accounts online and your website, where can they find you? Sure. So of course they can go to dubert.com. So D-O-O-B-E-R-T.com is a great place. Um, and you can find us on pretty much all the social medias, right? So at Dubert on Twitter, um, on Instagram, uh, we've got, I think it's under Dubert Rescue actually on Facebook. Cause I learned there's a, there's a band somewhere in the, in Europe that had oh. uh, the name Dubert. So, um, but yeah, just search for Dubert. Um, you can Google Dubert, right. And you'll end up on our website. It's pretty easy. We have mobile apps, right. So you can download either iOS or Android. Um, but we try to stay as active as we can on, on all those platforms so that people are aware that we're out there. Yeah fantastic and i'm going to link all of those um links in our show notes as well but yeah just uh, to say thank you so much again and i hope you have a wonderful rest of the day great thanks michelle you're welcome bye thank you so much for listening to this podcast We have some amazing guests on the show who share such invaluable advice, stories and inspiration. Can you do me a favour? If you like this podcast, please could you rate, review and subscribe. This will help us reach people who can benefit from listening. Another way you could help is if you could tell a friend. 
who you think might enjoy this podcast too. See you next week. Goodbye.